0: I got on a boat with five children, 1948, going to Africa. Our children were nine, seven, five, two, and six months old. And uh, for the next 24 years, we only came back to the States three times. And when we retired from foreign missions, really, that's not quite true. (laughs) We retired from... Uh, being uh, on the payroll, (laughs) from being a part of the partners and missions and so forth. Uh, We are still involved last weekend, busy with a mission conference in Indiana. But when I came back to America to make it my home in 1989, I came back to a different world than the one I left. The terminology was different. Standards were different. People were different, very different. And one of the things that seemed to sort of stand out to me that I noticed that you taught me when I came back was a little phrase, you know, oh, that's a nice car you're driving, brother. Yeah, I got a good deal on this one. Oh, you have a lovely home, sister. Yeah, we got a real good deal on this house. Uh, My, that was a nice roast you served for dinner, my friend. Uh, We get a real good deal on all our meats, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I heard it everywhere and it applied to everything. (laughs) A good deal. But I want to talk to you tonight about a real good deal. I mean, you can't change it, so get with the program. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you about a good deal. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I am reading from Matthew chapter 11, some wonderful words that Jesus spoke a long time ago. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me for getting in a hurry. My husband is always telling me, give the folks time to find the Scriptures. You, you're you always in such a hurry, but uh, sometimes when we're walking down the street together, I get to thinking about something, and I shift into high gear, and he'll say, slow down, Elizabeth. Prince is tired of walking four steps behind. <laughs> because uh, I, I guess I was born in a hurry. But uh, I, I am I feel a, a great uh, urge to tell you what God has been dealing with me about this afternoon. Thank you, Jesus. You talk about a good deal. And some of us that know the Lord and have known him for a long time need to take Jesus up on his offer. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, rest is God's best for us. His everyday gift for us is rest. I wrote a little poem about that one time. Uh, I think all of those books are gone, but uh, uh, there's the, in the last part of the last verse starts off with, without, let's see, without protest, my spirit bends to all his loving goodness sins. My husband had a real uh, bad accident and sitting at the breakfast table and he said, tell me something good, honey. And just, you know, the that moment, that poem come to me and I said, without protest, my spirit bends to all his loving wisdom. (laughs) He said, thanks. (laughs) That wasn't what he had in mind. He wanted something to comfort him in his hurting and in his pain at that time. But we've got to learn that God has rest for us no matter what our circumstances. Oh, yeah. right. There is rest in Jesus Christ and that is a good deal. Well, I mean, you give Him your load, your anxieties, your fears, your worries, your complaints. Oh, that's the right word. Without complaint, my spirit bends. You <laughs> knew that didn't sound quite right. Without complaint, my spirit bends. We give Him all of that and He hands us this rest. Ooh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good deal. (laughs) That is a good deal. And it's always available. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We still have a lot to learn about Jesus. My husband has a different kind of Bible that a friend gave him. What's the so different about it is the margins. The, the scriptures is exactly the same, but in the margin on the, on that, and I might, he might come someday and preach that sermon to you, I don't know, I'm not going to preach his sermon, but I'm just going to point out to you that in the margin of his Bible it says, where it says learn of me, it said enroll in Jesus' school there is a lot of things we could learn if we would just actually... Now, don't think I've been on the way a long time and I know it all. Honey, I mean, we've all got to learn. And I am still learning. Let me tell you what. You, you know when we'll graduate from learning? When the trumpet sounds and we get out of here. That we, We're going to be learning until then. But that's a good deal. Thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I remember... First church we pastored was in Portales, New Mexico, way out there on the plains. And you could see for a mile, just any time, you know, the daytime especially, and at night lights, you could see several miles. And we saw this prophetic figure of an old lady trudging along she seemed to have a lot of bundles and loads and, and she'd walk a little ways and then stop and set it all down and you could just visually almost see her body heaving as she tried to catch her breath and then she gathered it all up again and my husband says I can't wait to get there and let's give her a ride so I jumped out and I said darling get in the car let us take you wherever you want to go we'll take you she said don't want to bother nobody I said, it won't be any bother at all. We want to do it. And I helped her get inside, and and I sort of arranged things around her. But I looked back, and here she's got it all on her lap. I mean, there's five gallons of kerosene, a bundle of of wood, and a big old sack of some kind, and she's holding all of it. I said, honey, put it down. Set the kerosene on the floor. Put the wood on the seat beside you. You don't have to hold it now. She said, don't want to make too much weight on the car. Well, now the car was carrying her and her load. No matter how she arranged it. And the Lord is carrying us and our load. He used that little incident to talk to me one day when I found myself so pressed down with so many burdens and carrying such a load. You see, he said, you come and give it all to me and I'll make a trade with you. I'll trade you my rest for all of this stuff that you're carrying. Ooh. You know, I have made an in-depth study of depression since we have a national epidemic of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's as much of it in the church as there is out. No. There is not a congregation that I stand to speak to, that, that there's not a good proportion of them that's on putter-downers and pepper-uppers and go-to-sleepers. And, <laughs> and, no. no. You see... Uh, And so I began to study this, and I got a revelation from God on how it starts. Are you interested in hearing it? The Lord made me to know that every negative thought that you allow. Now look, uh, thoughts are like birds flying over your head. I mean, they can fly over your head and do you no damage, but if you let them build a nest in your hair, you're in trouble. But, and the devil pictures his negative thoughts of us and there's never been a more negative generation than this one. Right. And if you allow that negative thought to come in, you know, say, come on in, sit down in the recliner, I'll bring you a cup of coffee. Well, you're hooked. Amen. <laughs> that is the beginning of depression. You've got to learn to watch out for every negative thought. Just refuse to take it in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You have got someone who said he would take the load. Amen. What are you doing carrying it? Hallelujah. <laughs> He's offered us the best deal that anybody could ever have. Oh, You know, when I think about the deal he made me, I was a wreck, a nervous wreck. I had a total nervous collapse when i had been in depression for several years we had some tragedies in our family and i carried the load as though i was the only one affected though it affected all of us but i took it all to me you know i'm <laughs> i carry the whole thing i was only 18 years old when my grandfather was murdered and uh, the family suspected the truth i didn't realize it at first uh, and they're just going from one fainting spell to another so I had to talk to the reporters, talk to the detective, make the funeral arrangements. I mean, 18 years old, and there was no one that could get themselves together enough to stand by me. I'll never forget one sweet old black. A lady, I, I, well, she's sweet and old now. She's always been sweet, but she's old now. But I remember Monkey. We all called her Monkey. Uh, and she came and uh, said, Nona, honey, let me help you. And Nona, brother. I, I hate my middle name. <laughs> I've liked it uh, because they teach me about the big brother guns in, in the World War One. But uh, uh, my middle name is Brother, but they always call me brother. <laughs> Nona, brother, honey, let me help you, she said. And we made gallons of coffee and gallons of lemonade and bushel baskets of sandwiches for the curiosity seekers that came. Well, you know, I'm your grandmother's eighth cousin, and we just thought we'd come and give our sympathy, but they were all curiosity seekers. And the whole thing was on Monday before Granddaddy John got shot, uh, I walked in the kitchen, I was staying with my grandmother, she lived in town, they weren't separated, but uh, she lived in town and he lived on the farm and he'd come in as often as he could and she'd go out there part of the time. And, but I just staggered into the kitchen early that morning and Granddaddy John had already driven the 20 miles to town and was there and there was a half a gallon fruit jar full of gold pieces sitting on the table and he said to my grandmother, Sue, I know how you love money. And I just got a feeling something's going to happen to me, and I just want to show you what you're not going to get. I'm going to dig so deep that if you dug to China, you wouldn't find it. I'm going to bury it. And then they looked up and saw me in the door, and he cussed me and told me to get out. And that was just the beginning of a lot of terrible things that happened. In the end, I learned that my own father had hired a black man to kill his father. And I only found out the whole truth in the last ten years of my life, and that is that my grandfather was planning to murder his whole family. And my daddy knew that, and that's why he did what he did. Still no excuse, but as it ended, since my mother felt this, she knew it. God showed her. And my grandmother felt it, and every member of the family, and so they they were unable to do anything, and all the weight fell on an 18-year-old girl. And then just six months later, I lost my brother two years younger than I. Also died as a result of a a man robbed him and injured him so that he died two weeks later. And he was the dearest thing in this world to me. We were so close. We had uh, been together as just little kids when our mother was so sick that she couldn't do anything. I took care of him. I raised him, and I was only two years older than he was. I was 18, and he was 16. Six months after my grandfather was killed, my brother died as a result of an accident. And all of this, but through his death also, my mother was so devastated, and the whole family. And again, I was the strong one. I made the arrangements. I took care of the phone calls. I did everything that had to be done, and then fell into a depression so deep that. Uh, it was uh, unreal uh, they, it, this went on for two years and finally at college I collapsed and It all caught up with me uh, and uh, the doctor said that my condition was so serious that nothing could be done in fact they gave me 36 hours to live uh, he, they thought I was unconscious but I heard the doctor tell my daddy take her home and let her die in the arms of her mother she will live about 36 more hours her whole body is shut down she has no body functions left And so I went home to die. But thank God for a praying mother who knew how to pray for a backslider. You know, because I nearly went out into eternity with empty hands. It makes me all the more determined to preach to you. Get those hands busy reaching out for Jesus Christ. Because every little thing you do for him. He gave me a choice as life left my body that night as I was dying. I'd call. the last words I said was to my fiance, who's today my wonderful husband. I said, Call my mother, have her come and pray. That's the only hope there is for me. And then, you see, the lights had gone out for me. I kept saying, Turn on the lights. The lights are on. But I couldn't see them. And I knew this is it. And I felt life leaving my body seemed I was hanging on to a ledge. I don't often tell the story. Didn't really plan to tell it tonight, but God knows. I'm holding on to a little ledge of life, and it's breaking, and I know I'm going to fall. If you're here tonight, you don't believe in hell, my friend. Let an eyewitness of hell tell you how terrible it is. Because I saw it. I heard the screams of the lost. And I knew I was falling into it. And I knew that's where I deserved to go because I'd been disobedient to God. I'd run from him, refused to do his will, refused to listen to his voice. And as my handholds broke for the first time in my silly, foolish young life, I realized how precious the name of Jesus is. And in my spirit somewhere, no more breath in my body, my heart had ceased beating, but I whispered his name. Then it seemed I'm not falling so fast. And I thought, let me say it one more time before I hit that fire, because then I know I will not be able to ever again say that name. And when I whispered it the second time, he reached out his loving arms. Oh, you talk about a good deal. (laughs) Just calling his name twice. Now, my mother did not hear me pray, did not see any change in me. And if I had not come back, she would have grieved me as lost. But I looked into his face, and he said, I have forgiven your ugliness, your stubbornness, your unwillingness, your disobedience. It's all forgiven. You can come to my house to live. I love you. I said, Jesus, you are so wonderful to give me that chance. But he said, you will come with empty hands. I meant for you to bring many souls. I meant for you to do a great work for me. But you have stubbornly walked your own way. I said, if you'll just let me go back. Just let me go back. I promise you, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I will be what you want me to be. I made a good deal that day. He let me come back. And I've traveled around this world preaching the gospel. Up and down America. And as long as there's strength in this body. A lot of our friends say, you people are so foolish, you're silly. I mean, you, you've you got this nice home. Uh, uh, and God even stepped in and paid for it for us. I'm, I couldn't believe it. I still can't hardly really believe it. To think we're not pay, even pay, making payments. God paid for it for us in a remarkable way. But said, why don't you stay there and enjoy it? But you see, I remember. A promise I made. God, I'll go wherever I can. I'll do whatever I can for you. Because I found out that this life at very best is so short. Oh, go out to a graveyard and walk around and see how many young people and babies and small children and people cut down in the prime of life are there. And don't think that you are exempted. You know, time is a very strange thing. I always, after I've had these five sermon weekends, or sometimes it's more, sometimes less, I guess this is a four-sermon one, uh, I I want to relax, and I like to read old Reader's Digests. And this friend of mine had some old ones, and I picked up an old one. Now I wish I had written down the year and the month, because I read an article that really opened my eyes to something that I never understood before, and maybe I can help you with it. They appointed several years ago a large panel of scientists to investigate time. I was touched when my husband, speaking at a funeral a few years ago, said of a dear friend we were burying that day at 94. He said, our friend is no longer a prisoner of time, but we, all of us, are still prisoners of time. Got to get up. Got to go to bed. Got to get food ready. Got to go to work. I mean, must go to school. It's time for the kids to come home. From... You see, we our whole life is hemmed in with time. We are prisoners of time. Well, what the scientists were trying to find out, where did yesterday go? And after studying it for many years. I've forgotten now the number of years, but it was a several year period. They studied this subject and finally had to say, we know there was some yesterdays. We see buildings that were built, houses. We see things that happened, but we can find no trace anywhere in the universe of where yesterday went. And we cannot find anywhere for tomorrow to come from. All we've got is now. All we have got is now. I think if we ever woke up and realized that all we have got is now. And I think an all wise God made it exactly this way. You've only got today that you can be sure of. Tomorrow, the Africans used to say it's the other side of the mountain. It never does come this side. Because when it gets here, it's today. But the scientists, the wise men of our world, do not know where it's coming from. And they don't know where today went when it becomes yesterday. It's an awesome thing. But he's made us a good deal. He gave us today. We've got now. He is a now God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm so thankful for his mercy that's greater than anything any of us will ever be able to understand the great mercy of God. We're so quick to put people in hell. You know, it's like, well, didn't make it. How do you know? How do you know? You're not the judge. I know what the book says, and I stand on the book. I stand. I, I, got, I left my Bible in Brother William's car when we went home from the service, but thank God there was a Bible in the room. And I got it, and in my reading there, I read Isaiah 55 and 11. Let me just turn and read that. What a powerful, powerful scripture that is. I, I, I've, it's been one I've preached on several times as far as I can remember. Uh, but somehow or another the Lord directed me to it, and it just seemed more powerful than ever. Let me just read you this verse, 11 of Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Ooh, you talk about a good deal. When you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, my friend, that's the best deal you ever made in your life. Because that one, everything he says is prosperous, and does what it's supposed to do. Now you may not do what you're supposed to do. But his word does what it's supposed to do. Hallelujah. It prospers. Hallelujah. And when you turn loose of your life and give it to him. Ooh, what happened? Listen. I was always a puny one in our family. That's, that's what they call me. Have you ever heard that southern expression, puny? Well, that, that means there's not much hope of that one, ever doing much, you know. I, I remember my grandmother sitting me down when I was just a little girl. She said, now, honey, when you grow up and get married, you better not have any children because you, you've been puny all of your life. And I, I, I was always the puny one, the weak one. But when I turned my life over to Jesus Christ, oh, you talk about a good deal. (laughs) He made a tough old lady out of me. Hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And I enjoy it. After being so weak all of my life and so puny, it's just so nice to know that I could make a deal like that. Some of you children of God need to come back to the altar tonight and make a good deal turn yourself over to Jesus Christ. He is responsible? He wants to be responsible, but he doesn't want your help. You see, we're always trying to help him. I used to try to help him answer my prayers, you know. I tried to arrange things, manipulate. That's a trait of the female part of the human race. You know, they, they are manipulators, they are arrangers. And, and, and I followed through. But one day I finally woke up and realized he does not need my help. If I'll turn loose of it, he'll take care of it. Did you know you cannot worry and believe God at the same time? You cannot be troubled and concerned and upset and negative and then have the blessings of God and see God do, you are hindering God doing what He wants to do. Many people hinder their own healing. I remember a sweet lady that had diabetes, and I have seen diabetes healed several times. I mean totally healed. And this sweet lady came up to my husband, and my husband said, do you believe Jesus can heal you? Yes, Brother Freeman, I believe he can heal me. but. And my husband started praying. He didn't even notice the but. And he started praying. But now while my husband's praying, she says, you know, sometimes I go into a coma. It's just so terrible. I, I, there's so many things I can't eat. Now, she's not even planning to get healed. She just wanted somebody to complain to There's a lot of people when they go on their knees, they just want somebody to complain to. You know, the the real basic fact is you don't even want deliverance or healing or help. The Lord showed me one day, you know, here in this pulpit, yeah, I saw it from sitting over there, is this little bottle. Uh, This is commanded by the word of God. Hallelujah. And that makes it sacred because God said we're to use it. Hallelujah. And with that, we put the most powerful name in all the world. And then you come up here to get prayed for. A <laughs> uh, big deal. And you turn around to walk away and you say, still got the pain. Didn't work. And you've just had a formula of pride that applied to you that cannot fail. God says, I heal all of them. But they turn loose of it. They don't hold on to what I do. Oh, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's ready to give you everything you need if you're ready to surrender. Totally and completely. Oh, hallelujah. I had crippling arthritis. I had it so bad. I mean, it struck me suddenly. I was, lifted a pot of beans off of the stove and dropped it. Just the strength went out of my hands, especially my thumbs. You try to hold a hot pot with just your fingers, can't do it. Uh, you talk about doing a war dance. I mean, I danced all over the kitchen trying to get away from hot bean soup, <laughs> uh, the juice of the beans, uh, and I didn't miss all of it either. Uh, and, uh, oh, then the pain started. Oh, it started in my thumbs, and it slowly went to every knuckle, and uh, it was really bad, and then it got in my elbows, and then it got in my shoulders, and I met our doctor friend downtown one day, and he said, Freeman's must all be doing good. I haven't seen or heard any for many of you in a long time. I said, well, Dr. Kessel, it's just me. And I told him my story, and he fell to my hands. He said, look, I don't have to do anything else. I can tell you quickly. You have got one of the worst forms of crippling arthritis. He said, has it got to your shoulders yet? I said, just started in my shoulders. The agony is so bad at night. He said, you that can't take any painkillers, you better get that church to pray. Well, what he didn't know was every service. I trotted up to, please pray for my hands. (laughs) Please pray for my hands over and over and over. Three and a half years of it. I mean, I know they hated to see me coming, but I I was determined. I mean, you know, if praying's going to do it, I'm going to get all that prayer I can. But one night, I'll never forget it, the power of God hit that service. And, man, I'm not really much of a musician until the Lord get, falls on me. And, man, then I can tear a piano up. I, I could, used to. I don't know. I don't know if I could even play one tune down. I haven't even touched one. And, well, I did sit down and play just a little bit just in my husband's request of, few days ago. But uh, I, I I don't ever play anymore, I don't have time and I never was too good to start with. But that night I want you to know I was enjoying being at piano I was just having a time. Uh, and we sang the same chorus about thirty five times I think and sinners run to the altar and, and backsliders prayed through and people got their healing. It was just powerful. And the devil leaned over and he said, Now when you just play for an ordinary service, your hands hurt so bad and your arms hurt so bad you can hardly stand it. You are gonna die with pain tonight. I got so aggravated that the devil threatened me. I got up and went over there to where my husband was standing with a young preacher, and I said, "I didn't come to be prayed for, I came to be healed. There is a big difference in coming to be healed and coming to be prayed for. You know, some people just collect prayers all of their life and stay sick. <laughs> but I went to be healed, and went home that night and slept like a baby. No pain whatsoever. I mean, and for three and a half years I had never been free from pain for one minute. I'd wake up in the night with tears pouring from my eyes from the intensity of that pain. And I went home and slept like a baby. Ooh, takoriya One month later I woke up in the night. I, when I woke up I got my hands up. Now holding them up didn't really help that much but it seemed like it helped a little bit. And I've got my hands up in the air already and the tears are pouring and the pain is terrible. I thought, now I am not going to let Satan steal my healing. I put my hands down. I said, enemy, I've got something to tell you. I have been healed of crippling arthritis and I plan to stay healed. I just want you to know. And I don't care how bad you make the symptoms hurt. You can't bring back the disease because God's taken it away. You're just a bluff. I call you a bluff. This is not real. I'm healed in Jesus' name. But I went to sleep with the tears still flowing. I don't know when, sometime later. Thanking God for my healing. Still hurting. Woke up the next morning. Pain is gone. It stayed gone for six months. He came back again six months later. He came back again a year later but every time I gave him the answer you know this book talks about fight the good fight of faith oh, yeah, yeah. if you'll begin to fight the good fight of faith my friend you'll find out what a good deal it is oh, yeah, you. hallelujah yeah. you know I look at my hands sometimes and he let two or three knuckles stay enlarged just to remind me what he's done <laughs> Woo, hallelujah I have no arthritis I have no rheumatism I have none of that I got the victory over that and, and a good deal with Jesus Christ hallelujah oh, yeah. Uh, And he's the only one that I know that can do that. Medical profession cannot do it. They can do a lot of things, or they try to do a lot of things, and some of them help and some of them don't. But everything they do for you, what helps you one place hurts you another. I learned that before I ever went to Africa. I was working to learn midwifery in the obstetrical section of the hospital. Worked there for quite some time. And uh, I I remember this was 19... must have been 44. It's quite a while ago, day before yesterday. And uh, the, the, the nurse told me, you know, the doctor's got a new drug, and they're going to try it out the first chance they get. Uh, I said, well, what is it? And they said uh, they call it a saddle block. That's what they called a spinal block when it started out was a saddle block. And here this 15-year-old girl staggers in off the street in labor, pains every five minutes, and every time she got a pain, she just started scratching and cursing and she didn't have a suitcase, she didn't have a, uh, anything, and she wouldn't tell her na- us her name. Uh, and so we just had to give her a name. Uh, you couldn't turn her away. You had to do something. So the doctors that used that hospital, was eight of them, said, well, let's just use, try that drug on her. We won't get any money anyhow for this delivery. So the head nurse came along and said, Freeman, if you'd like to go in and observe this, it's a momentous occasion, why... You can come. Well, as befit my humble situation as a nurse's aide, that was the title I had. Though actually, I did everything the RNs did because it was during the war and they were short-handed, didn't have enough nurses, and, and they were so busy. In fact, that doctor, he just offered me anything if I just stayed when I was leaving, going to Africa. But uh, I stood back against the wall and they administered the drug and something went wrong. And I heard the doctor say, I'm sorry. I saw she had turned blue, and he said, uh, She's gone. I don't remember, I wasn't conscious of leaving the wall. I don't remember how I got up to that stretcher out in the middle of the floor. But when I came to myself, I had both hands on that girl. And I said, oh God, don't let this young girl, 15 years old, go out into eternity with all those terrible words on her lips. Give her a chance, God, to find salvation somewhere, sometime. Bring her back in Jesus' name. I had my hand on her heart. One hand was on her heart. I felt it start beating. And then she sighed. And I decided I better get out of there. I did. I went to go do something else. I mean... They delivered the baby. As soon as she was able to move, which was the next day, she took her baby and left. I never got a chance to see her again. But God is a merciful God. That afternoon, though, a head nurse comes and said, Freeman, the doctors would like to see you up in the snack room at 3 o'clock. So I went up there to, to meet with eight doctors. One of them owned the hospital. He'd been my, our friend, not only mine, but my husband's for a long time, a very fine man. And uh, he said, all right, fellas, here she is. Ask her what you want to. And they were all belligerent and antagonistic. And one said, Mrs. Freeman, do you teach your church people not to go to the doctor? I said, no, sir. That's a personal decision that each one must make. Another one said, do you teach them not to take the medicine we prescribe? I said, no, sir. That's a decision they have to make. Well, what do you call what you did today? I said, sir, I didn't do anything. But just obeyed God. I said, we call it divine healing. He said, well, that was more than healing. That girl was gone. And just that simple prayer, and she came back. I don't understand it. I said, sir, I don't either. But Jesus, he does a lot of things I don't understand. <laughs> but I like them all. <laughs> That's wonderful. Finally, God helped me to break down the antagonism. And then the old doctor said, you all listen to me a minute. He said, every single thing we do, we help you one place, we hurt you another. Well, I had explained to them that, listen, the God that made this body is the one that best knows how to repair it or fix it up or mend it. I said, but everybody doesn't have faith. So for that reason, I thank God for the medical profession, for people who don't have faith. But I said, faith is a better way. And that's when the old doctor said, let me say something. He said, take a simple appendectomy. Now, this is a diseased appendix. It's got to come out. We take it out, but we have cut the abdominal wall, and that person is going to have either or, and usually it's both, adhesions and hernia." Because we set them up for it when we have to cut, when we cut the abdominal wall. Even if we only make a small little incision, we have still violated the abdominal wall. And they will pay for that. Every single drug that we give uh, does one good thing and several bad things. And they began to go down the list. They said, every time you take an antibiotic of any kind, penicillin, it just come out. And they were just getting something else, another antibiotic up at that time. He said, everyone that goes through anybody's body damages their kidneys. We, set, we give them uh, antibiotics for a kidney infection. We're setting them up for the next infection. Amen. He said, and every sulfur drugs now will handle Pneumonia. And they're using it a lot for TB and any kind of lung, respiratory diseases. And said, the, 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 these drugs, the sulfur drugs, every time they go through your body, they damage your liver. These simple headache medicines that you sell, that you buy across the counter, at the drugstore, every one of them damages your whole nervous system. Minutely maybe, but every time, and you just keep on doing it, and you get serious damage. He said, and this old doctor, a pioneer doctor, the head of a large hospital, said, "Freeman, your way is the better way. Trusting God, believing God, having faith in Him. Hallelujah, Hallelujah." He said, and I'll tell you something else, you fellas. You, you just tell me if you think you can heal, because I'll tell you quick, you can't. We can do this and we can do that, but we cannot heal. Well, it, before that even happened, this old doctor had made an arrangement. Anybody that come in for surgery, he'd say, be sure Freeman has at least 10 minutes in with that patient before they go to surgery. <laughs> and, and when they're coming out from under the anesthetics, he said, be sure that, I said, hey, I'm here for, uh, for, for the uh, you know, baby section. <laughs> he said, listen, this we need you. Get in there. He never told me to pray, but he knew what I did. <laughs> and he sent me in there when I was start, trying to leave. He, he didn't want me to leave. He said, I'll pay you what I pay the head nurse and you'll just stay here and keep on doing what you're doing. He said, I've never had such a good rate of survival since I've had a hospital. (laughs) Glory to God. God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Jesus. Hallelujah. I remember when I went to work in the hospital, some of our church folks said, uh, Sister Freeman we really think you're doing the wrong thing this is going to hinder you from believing God this is going to damage your faith I tell you what my faith was so built up in that hospital <laughs> I, I, they'd come in and tell me that this patient not going to live through the night and I'd go in there and pray uh, and I'd see him go home from the hospital a week later uh, and I, I, I saw what God can do hallelujah Amen. oh I tell you what serving him is a good deal for yes. any way you look at it you look at it this side or that side or the other side or the back side it's still a good deal yes. To turn your life over to Jesus Christ and walk with him. Now let me just show you a few little things that, you know, uh, our church quite some time ago, in the beginning, I guess, decided tobacco, cigarettes, tobacco in any form is wrong. And we didn't know it was giving people cancer. We didn't know all of that. But God led us. Yes, God led us. And of course, we preach against drinking alcoholic beverages. And both of those have terrible physical consequences for anybody that uses them. I mean, you damage your own body when you use alcohol or tobacco. And then a few years ago, we come out against television. Now, a lot of us sneak around and build the unsafe ten folks to look at it and all that kind of stuff. And, but uh, let me tell you what, I read a statement by a doctor this week, And it was in a magazine that they had for me to read on the plane. And this doctor said, if any human being understood what TV has the power to do wrong and against them, none of them would allow one in their house. Now this is a man high in the professional. It wasn't a religious magazine. It was the in-flight air magazine. And here they quoted this doctor as saying, if people only realize what television, you are bringing a dangerous thing into your home if you have a television. I pray to God that you'll get rid of it for your own benefit, because you can't really serve God and look at TV. I mean, David said, I will set no evil thing before my eyes, and that thing is evil. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm waiting for Brother and Sister Williams. Fortunately, I didn't have to wait long, and I'm sitting there looking that thing blaring in there, an idiot box. I don't... What, to waste, I've got no eyes, nor brain, nor mind to waste on looking at them. Uh, and uh, so the little gal says, can I put this on another program for you? I said, I'm not paying any, any attention anyway. I'm leaving. I'm, my, my ride's coming. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Uh, let, I, now, and don't look at me like that. Let me tell you what. Yes, I know. Oh, I got to see people walk on the moon. Well, so what? I saw pictures of it. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. I don't have to look at that to see. I don't care. Oh, come over to our house and watch this historic occasion. I'm sorry. I made a commitment. I have stayed in motels and hotels all over the world. And every one of them had a TV in the room. And I've never turned on one yet. That's how strong my convictions are. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah oh hallelujah there's benefits in anything that God requires of us everything he requires of us is a good deal if you just stay around long enough you'll find out it's a good deal to walk with him hallelujah hallelujah and the best deal in this book is found in Acts chapter 2 there was those troubled men and they cried out what can we do and Peter told them exactly what to do I'm so glad we've got the exact directions repent repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In in the congregations that I preach to across America, I preach to ex-murderers, ex-thieves, ex-fornicators, ex-robbers, you just name it. Well, any kind of bad thing, but these are X's, glory to God, hallelujah. That's what they used to be, just like the beautiful song you sang, brother. Oh, hallelujah. What a good deal it is when we accept God's good deal. Just to think that you can do a simple thing like going down in that water. And you come up out of it. Clean. From your head to your toe, inside. Ooh. There are so many people. You know, our smart psychiatrists and doctors have come to the conclusion that it's guilt that's caused so many of the problems that people have today. Uh, I know the answer for the guilt problem. (laughs) Woo, hallelujah. Go down in that water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You talk about a good deal. (laughs) You get rid of all that garbage. Woo, hallelujah. What a good deal. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, if I were to start going through here, this book is full of good deals especially the New Testament. I I was reading today over there in Peter where it talked about that we haven't been redeemed by such insignificant things as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He has redeemed us. I mean, gold and silver, don't even enter into the picture. Something better than that has redeemed us. You talk about a good deal. That's a good deal. And then so many people find out that marriage doesn't turn out to be what they wanted it to be. And they buy homes and they're greatly disappointed. And I was reading in the paper about these folks that bought these beautiful homes in a new area that was opened up and come to find out that this chemical was present there. And all of them got sick. Some of their children died. Some of them expecting babies. They were born deformed. What is it? Radon or something. R-A-D-O-N. I don't know how you pronounce it. Radon was there. And that's a big disappointment well let me tell you what in Jesus Christ there is no disappointment right. Amen. and he will never change right. Hebrews 13 today, Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever Amen. oh hallelujah when you become his partner you have latched onto to something eternal and everlasting yeah. glory yeah. to God never fails never changes Woo, hallelujah hallelujah everybody else and everything else will let you down yeah. a sweet old gentleman said to me a couple of weeks ago He said, my old legs have let me down. They don't want to work anymore. Well, our bodies will let us down. But Jesus Christ will never let us down. You talk about a good deal. This is the best deal that I ever heard of. And I can't understand why anybody would walk away from it. We're listening to the wrong voice if we do. You give your life totally to Jesus Christ. You're listening to someone who's tried it. When God brought me back from the death, I was dead. My family are not sure how long. My daddy said it was about 30 minutes. Someone else said it was longer. My mother said it's about 20 minutes. I don't know. But when I came back from death, my daddy was looking for the undertaker's phone number. I know that. Back in those days, you know, that was what you did. You just called the undertaker. didn't go through the hospital or the doctor or anything. And he was looking for the number when God brought me back to life. And I said, Jesus Christ, I will give my life to you. And I will do what you want me to do. I know a lot of people thought we were fools to take our family and go off to Africa. We didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know what it would be like. But we knew who was going with us. Oh, hallelujah. And we knew he would be enough. And when we got over there, our mission giving in our church was so pathetic at that time that we'd, get, we'd be hoping to get a check and we'd get a letter saying, pray that some money will come in so we'll have something to send you. Hallelujah. And there was many times there was no food for our children. Now I remembered my husband would always say something like this, well, honey, Jesus has never failed us yet. Some meals have been a little far apart. But he's never failed. We've never missed any meals yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. God sent an angel to deliver groceries to our house. Hallelujah. Well, it took us a while to realize what it was, but it was the only answer. Nobody else knew where we were. But just Jesus, he always knows where you are. He's got your address. He's got your phone number. He knows where you live. He knows all about you. He knows what's happening to you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a good deal to turn your life over to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I'll be what you want me to be. And I remember that night when he let me come back. He said, if you will obey me and do what I want you to do, you'll see your children's children preaching the gospel and working for me. We went to Africa in August this year for two weeks counselors for a group of 31 young people the first week and 34 the second week. 35 the second week. Four more young people joined us for the one week. And we got back from a very strenuous trip, had one night at home, and the next day we had to leave for California because our grandson who pastors in Thousand Oaks was dedicate this new church building. is just built. Oh my <laughs> God. Grandma and grandpa could not miss that. I just beginning. And God is using both of them. One of them has such an anointing of God on his life. There's no telling what that boy's going to do. Well, both of them really have. It's just amazing what God has done. Let me tell you something. You can't bargain with God. I've heard people try to do it. Lord, if you'll just heal this cancer, I'll give you half of everything I've got. You know, you can't bargain with God but you give yourself to him. Let's just look at Peter, you know. Jesus just walked by and said to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now Jesus could have stopped there and said, now you follow me and you'll be the head of the church that I'm going to establish. And your name will be written on on the foundation of the new Jerusalem that I'm going to build. And people at 2,000 years from now will know your name and quote your words. I mean, he could have told you, but he didn't tell him anything. (laughs) He just said, follow me. He just said, follow me. He didn't tell him the benefits are out of this world. They are. Hallelujah. You talk about a medical plan, infallible. Ah, It's great. Hallelujah. The benefits are wonderful. But Jesus simply said, follow me. He's not going to bargain with us. And he doesn't really want what you have. He wants you. He wants you. You know, our great example went to the garden, and there he knelt and he prayed. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's where he wants us to go, to the garden. Find you a garden somewhere. There may not be a flower or a plant within 50 miles, but you can make a garden anywhere. You can make a garden here at this altar tonight and say, Jesus, I want you to take control of my life and make me what you want me to be. I've just got to tell you about Tony. Tony was in a church that my mother was pastoring in Durban, South Africa. Well, in fact, Tony was there before my mother got there. And we lost the pastor and my mother came And so she took over the church But before my mother got there The Sunday school teachers come to me and said Sister Freeman we've got this kid named Tony Tony Govender He's an Asiatic Indian boy His parents come with him on a Sunday morning But he doesn't miss a service And he is so mean And he is so ornery And he's so naughty And we come to ask permission to ban Tony from church I said, no, 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 you can't do that. We don't ban anybody from church. I don't care how bad they are. We just keep on loving them and praying for them and trying to see what God will do. And uh, so then my mother came and they went and made the same request of, uh, of my mother. said, he up the Sunday school classes. He keeps the kids, he gets and crawls under the seats and uh, pinches them and bites them and tickles them and he just keeps everything and up all the time. Please, Sister Easter, let us ban him from the church. No, no, no. We can't ban anybody from the church. Just love. Maybe Tony wants more attention. Give him a little extra love, a little extra attention and do a lot of extra praying for Tony well, uh, time went on and my mother left and then my husband and I pastored that church for a while and here they come back it's still Tony. I mean, he gets worse every year he lives, Sister Freeman. This boy is hopeless. He is no good. He can't do anything good. He can't do anything right. I said, that means we must pray very hard for Tony. And then... God promoted us to another area of work. We began to travel up and down Africa and I didn't get to go to the individual churches anymore over quite a long time. And then the leaders who took our place said, oh you've got to come back and see what God is doing. God has done a tremendous work among these Asiatic Indian people. He's just saved so many of them and you've got to come back and see it. I had that desire and finally it worked out so that we could go and we were on our way with Brother Sism and Brother Freeman got an urgent message, an emergency and the Nigerians who had to leave us so we, Brother Sissom and I went on with Brother and Sister Iker to Durban, South Africa to the Indian Conference. And it was so crowded. They couldn't get all the people in there. Uh, but I was and they opened a room on the side and all of us sat in there. And Brother Sesame come over and he said, Sister Freeman, I want you to just step out here and see what's happening. He said, you know at our conferences and in our churches, the folks that are shouting and rejoicing is all on the front. Uh, and those in the back, he said, I want you to know they're shouting and rejoicing and worshiping God all the way back. <laughs> Clear to the back wall. They're back there worshiping and praising God. I thought it was just wonderful. But my attention was caught by this fine looking young fellow, head on a white suit, playing his guitar, he led a choir he sang with a group and he was emceeing, I leaned over to Sister Eckert and I said who is that young man, there's something faintly familiar about his face but it's been so long since I've seen any of these folks, Uh, who is he, what is his name, and she said his name is um, uh, uh, Tony I said Tony, what's his last name, she said oh I just can't think, I said it wouldn't be Governor would it she said yeah 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 that's it Tony Governor, that kid that was such a nuisance to everybody for so long and tried everybody's patience to the limit. And here he is. He said, oh, Tony's a fine young man. He married a fine girl. He's just started a new work. Already got 300 in Sunday school. He is a future leader of the work in South Africa. God is using him for his glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, I was talking to Tony when I was there in Christmas this year. And he told me, Sister Freeman, I've got four boys and I'm reaping some of what I sowed. (laughs) And he said, I am so glad that God is, is a group of great grace." Because he said, I've got to keep. I need eyes in the back of my head for my quartet. He said they are something else. But I know I'm reaping what I sowed. I know I deserve it. And just after that, one of his little boys ran out and got run over by a car. Didn't get hurt. He just did an awful lot of howling. It just kind of threw him out of the way. But he said, Oh God, give me more grace. But that. Young man is doing such a tremendous work for God today. Let me tell you, the most impossible case can come to Jesus Christ and make a good deal. I looked at him. You know, Tony always had this sneaky face. Some of you will understand. You've seen faces like that. I mean a sneaky face. Those eyes were so full of mischief. And to see him stand and play that guitar and sing in the Holy Ghost with the anointing of God on him. I said, oh Jesus, you're bigger than I thought you were. (laughs) I know you're big, but you're even bigger than I thought. You're even greater than I thought. Oh, what a God he is. And you know what? He's waiting on you. I don't make altar calls for sinners only. I make altar calls for everyone who has a need. And if you've got any kind of need in your life, Jesus Christ is waiting. He's reaching out loving arms toward you. You don't see it. I feel it. I can almost see it. But I feel it. He's reaching out his arms of love to you. And he wants you to make a good deal tonight. Would you stand with me, please, right now? Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. There was a young man that came running to Jesus one day. He was so anxious, he ran to get to him. And then he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, talking with him, loved him. But he saw this young man was wealthy, and he loved his money. There's nothing wrong with having money, but it's wrong to love it. And so that rich young ruler made a bad deal. He turned and slowly walked away, the one who had come running. What are you going to do tonight? If I were in your place, knowing what I know, I would run to Jesus. I would hurry. I wouldn't wait. You can come now. I want us to keep our heads bowed. Those of you who do not feel like you have a need. You don't have to come. But if you have a need, Jesus is waiting up here to make a good deal with you. He's waiting here to do something for you that no one else can do. He's waiting for you to come and say, Lord, I've come your way. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I surrender my will to you. I guess Africa spoiled me. If I just slowed down, they come running to the altar. I don't really know how to give a prolonged altar call here. But I'm telling you, friends, don't pass up a good deal. The rich young ruler went away. He kept his money, but he got a bad deal. Because anything without Jesus Christ is a bad deal.